Weekend Mornings with Glenn Van Zutphen. Replay from Money FM 89.3. Neil, I think we should probably do a murder mystery, don't you? We should. And I'm keen on this one because I'm very interested to know how much you know about this guy, whether he's in the consciousness as you're an American, because I had no idea about this chap until this week. And I pride myself on keeping up to date with all the world's murderers, but I had no idea about this one until I saw a trailer on Netflix. And it's very timely because the, the docudrama is on Netflix this week. It's called The Devil Next Door. Mm. Now, this story, Glenn, is extraordinary. So, for the benefit of the listeners, I'll paint you a picture. There was this man called John Demjanjuk. I mean, Dem, Demjanjuk. Demjanjuk, sorry. My yep. apologies. That's John right. Demjanjuk. Now, he was the poster boy for the American dream, immigrant. A Ukrainian immigrant, he settled in Cleveland with his wife and daughter after World War II, became a naturalized citizen, a model American citizen in 1958, had two more kids. He got a job at Ford. He worked as a diesel engine mechanic for a decade, got along with the neighbors, everybody. I mean, he couldn't have been more cliched, suburban, Mm. middle-class American, right? Everybody liked him, popular guy, quiet. Then out of the blue, in 1975, this quiet suburban American finds himself on a list of American citizens believed to have been Nazi concentration camp guards. Mm. He was identified by Holocaust survivors as Ivan the Terrible. That was his original name, Ivan. He changed it to John. Yes, Ivan the Terrible, one of the most ferocious, vicious, violent guards in World War II. And that's some serious competition right there. Many Jewish survivors, to their dying breath, remembered the horrors of Ivan the Terrible. So this mild-mannered guy, his American citizenship is revoked. He gets kicked out of the U.S. He's extradited to Israel. That's where the trials are for, you know, the Holocaust. Mm. He goes on trial. It's one of the biggest trials since World War II. It's broadcast around the world. And that is the subject matter for the documentary. So you would think open and shut case, but it actually isn't. It isn't. Even to this Mm. day, Glenn, it isn't. So who are they? Let's talk about these two men and whether they actually are the same man. Ivan the Terrible... We know there was a real Ivan the Terrible. We also know he was born in the Ukraine and he went to the Treblinka death camp in Poland where a million Jews, a million Jews were murdered during World Mm. War II. Think of any heinous crime done to women and children involving swords and whatever, whatever, and this Ivan the Terrible did it. Survivors spoke about him like he was the devil. They Mm. actually called him the worst devil of Treblinka. And then this guy disappears. That's Ivan the Terrible. Now, we get to the other guy, John, uh, John Dem Yanyuk. Did I say it right? Yeah, perfect. Yanyuk, right, so he comes in, 1965, model citizen, blah, blah, blah. Two completely different men, different lifestyles. Then the connection is made in the mid-70s and he flees to Israel, as I mentioned. He goes on trial and he's convicted of crimes against humanity and he's sentenced to death by hanging. Mm. The end. But you would have thought. It's not. <laughs> it's not. Because in 1993, yeah. five years after his conviction, it's overturned because information comes available that there is possibly another Ukrainian national who was Ivan the Terrible. Mm. So then I believe he goes back to America. He regains his US citizenship. He convinces the world that 
it's a mis- case of mistaken identity, poor foreigner, stereotyped as Ukrainians, all looking the same, behaving yeah. the same, and so on and so on. And it's another guy. Done. Story. 2009, he gets deported again. New evidence comes forward. This time he gets deported to Germany. He was tried this time in Munich for the death of 30,000 Jews at another death camp in Poland. So apparently this Ivan the Terrible Mm. was at two different camps and other survivors recognised him. But again, in this particular case, he goes to Munich, 2009, there are no survivors left to identify him, to testify against him so there's not enough evidence, but he's found guilty anyway. Eventually, he dies in a nursing home in 2012 in Germany at the age of 91. His body was flown back to Cleveland where he is now buried. So even to this day, Glenn, there is still some confusion. Was this mild-mannered, you know, Ukrainian immigrant turned American citizen, good community member, was he the same guy as the Ivan the Terrible who literally murdered tens of thousands of people? They still don't have a definitive answer. It's interesting because, you know, he was acquitted by this this Israeli court. He was. Right? But at the same time, the court did say... You know, they agreed that there was uh, there was it was in, there was insufficient evidence the Israeli Supreme Court to definitively conclude that he was Ivan the Terrible. But the judges all agreed that there was sufficient evidence to show that he was actually working at the Sobibor uh, extermination camp. Um, and so they they know he was there and working there. But whether or not he was Ivan the Terrible or not was the question. Yeah. But I, I remember this case very well growing up in America. This was a very prominent, prominent case. And, you know, obviously I remember his name all these decades later. And he was, like you say, he was, you know, he was a post-war, you know, kind of American immigrant success story. Yeah. You know, fit right into middle class and just, you know, did his work, worked hard, build a life, build a family. And, and then, you know, all of this comes out. And, um, and 1975, you'd have been about what then, teenager? Uh, yeah, about 12 years old. Right, right, right. So it would have been, a, yeah, I, I imagine, a part of the American consciousness for a while there, this idea yeah. that such a horrific man, if it was him, lives. And as we say, there's enough evidence to suggest that he was there. Whether he was actually Ivan the Terrible right. is still up for debate. I haven't watched the documentary. I'm going to watch it this week, and I'll talk about it next week maybe. But the idea that this monster, mm. I mean, it's an overused term, but a, a, a sadistic monster... I just rebuilt his life in suburban America is is just staggering, isn't it? Well, but also think at that time, you know, if you think culturally back to what was happening in the U.S. at that time, you know, not too many years earlier had been had been you know helter skelter the Sharon Tate murders, yeah, sixty eight, sixty nine, um, yeah. the, the the Scorpion uh, Scorpio hmm. uh, murders, the uh, which the Dirty Harry, the Dirty Harry movie movies, where we've yeah. talked about that in recent mm. uh, recent shows, John Wayne Gacy, yeah, the clown killer, the clown killer in Chicago who had mm. you know dozens of of young boys' bodies buried in his uh, crawl space. It was the decade of the serial killer. It yeah. was really, uh, you know, this was, people were very alert and tuned into people doing horrific things like this on a massive scale. Yeah. And I guess that maybe the, maybe today the, the corollary to that would be so many of the mass shootings that have yeah. been happening in the U.S., you know, and how we're tuned into that so often. Of course, sadly, there are way more of those going on than there are serial killers. But um, so it was at a time when people were really uh, aware of of some of these things and 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 they were you know the Nazi hunters were finding still finding people in Argentina and that's right and other places as well so yep. it was really part of pop culture 
it was a big mercenary business almost in the 70s to go track down oh, Nazi yeah. hunters in South America and, and oh, they yeah. were finding them. There was big paydays if they did. I know that sounds very mercenary, yeah. but that's the truth. No, no, and they were being tracked down well into the 70s. You're right. But yeah. it's just an astonishing... Uh, to me, it's just a flabbergasting story that... You know, we're talking about mindfulness, which sounds very flippant, but mm. the way that the human mind can almost switch from such unspeakable evil mm. and then somehow just turn it off, like turn the light switch off and become Mr. Suburban America. I'll say to the listeners, it's a Saturday morning, so I won't go into detail, but if you are interested, and it is extraordinary, A, watch it on Netflix. Mm. It's on Netflix. It's their primetime documentary of the week. It's right there on the homepage. What's They're, it called again? The, the Devil Next Door. Devil Next Door. The Devil Next Door. So have a watch of it and just Google Ivan the Terrible yeah. concentration camp. I mean, it, it, unspeakable evil, unspeakable cruelty, and then just to raise a family. I mean, even look at it from the other thing uh, point of view. I've been watching, and here's another thing worth watching, World War II in Colour, a groundbreaking 10-part series that I'm watching with my daughter yeah. on Netflix. It started this week where they have colourised all of these images of World War II, ah, Churchill, well, Battle amazing. of Britain. Yeah, yeah. I'm on episode three, which is Pearl Harbor. And it's great because my daughter is just slowly getting into World War II and, and so on. So when you watch that and you listen to the Spitfire pilots, um, the guys at Pearl Harbor and so on and so on, they say that they're on the so-called right side of history. That mm. Even just seeing their friends die, seeing people get injured and wounded, you, you never forget it. And you, it never leaves your mind to your dying day. It's always there. But this guy is the opposite extreme. Not only did he see the murder, he orchestrated the murder mm. on, on a mass and un, un previously and hitherto seen levels of millions of people. Right. He did terrible things to women and children as well. And I just can't believe that the human mind's capacity to just switch that off, start again in suburban America as if it didn't happen. Well, it's a sick... Extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, it's a sick, sick mind. Extraordinary. There was... Um there was another one, speaking of you know Chicago ones, this, did you ever read the book The Devil in the White City? I've uh, heard of it. Eric Larson uh, novel. Mm. Uh, it's a historical fiction, but not so much fiction. It's, it's really quite accurate of this guy called H.H. Holmes, H-O-L-M-E-S, who was a criminal figure around the time of the 1893 World Columbian Exposition in Chicago. Okay. And he built a boarding house for young women who were coming from the farms to come into Chicago – uh, and the, on the south side to work at the fair, right? The mm -hmm. exposition, because they needed lots of people to come in. And he basically built uh, a, a um, an exterminatory, you know, kind of boarding house for young women. Like wow. they would they would come and they would never leave. Sort of, it was it's, it's an amazing. Movie. Well, well, I'm going to put you on that for our next murder yeah, mystery. Yeah, I'll look into that because you will. First of all, the book is an amazing read, The Devil in the White City. Um, but it talks about the history of, of the exposition, the Columbian Exposition, 1893, and, and then this mass murderer mm. who gets away with it mostly. So uh, fascinating. But but thank you on the John no, Demjanjuk. Yeah, I'll just say uh, to uh, – I will watch it this week and maybe we'll touch on yeah. it again next week. Uh, if you've got Netflix, most of our listeners do, The the Devil Next Door, it will probably be quite grim viewing. But if you do want a so-called palate cleanser, that might be the wrong term, <laughs> do watch World War II in colour because I, now with the modern technology yeah. – yeah, yeah. With the modern technology, what they have done to colorize these images. It started with Peter Jackson, you know, who made the Lord of the Rings films. Mm. He just did this one, 
they will not grow old. Hmm. And he found World War One footage. Wow. And as you know, World War One footage, the way it was shot then, it's that... So there's no... Firstly, there's no dialogue. Secondly, it's in black and white. Thirdly, it runs at all kinds of different speeds. That, you know, that slightly like Charlie Chaplin kind of too slow, too fast. They've developed revolutionary technology to put all this footage together, run it at the same speed, colorize it, and the most chilling part of all, I've seen bits of it, is they can now lip sync and they've put voice actors into oh, there. Wow. So they have literally brought the soldiers of World War One mm. back to life on screen. So now they've got this technology. Have a look at that. They shall not grow old. That's on HBO. Mm. And have a look at World War Two in colour. It's a bit more uplifting after yeah. watching. Well, it's interesting because many of these conflicts, you know, those of us who were born, let's say, after 1950, those wars to us were always black and white wars. Yeah. Right. And black and white experiences. And, and frankly, you know, in our modern way of looking at things, not, not very interesting. No, absolutely. But the minute you colorize it, all new detail comes out. To see, I mean, I just watched the episode on the Blitz, 1940 London. To see London, my hometown, in color mm. in 1940, to see the red buses going past and see people drinking in pubs and just yeah. going about their business. Even my daughter, you know, she's the digital generation. Right. She was transfixed by it. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't recommend it enough. World War II in colour. It's, it's an extraordinary landmark achievement in, in cinematography. It really is. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.